Good morning, everybody. If you guys have Bibles or Bibles on your phone, go ahead and turn to Luke. Stephen, is this too loud or is this okay? Is it okay? We're going to look in Luke chapter 20 this morning. So we're continuing to go through Luke. Um, just so you know, on our website, which we will be changing the address at some point, but vineyardoforange.com, a shot posts all the messages. And if you get on our email list, I'll start emailing once a week the notes for all the messages if you just want to do more study. And so, uh, but we're continuing to go through Luke. And so let's go ahead and read this. Luke chapter 20, verses 45 to 47. And it says, and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box And he saw a poor widow who put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. And when that says all she had to live on, that means she emptied her bank account. So when you guys, how many of you have read this story before? When you've read it before, what did you think? What jumped out at you? What did you notice? What struck you about this, about this, illust- this example that Jesus is pointing out? What hit you? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, vulnerable. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Her faith. What do you mean her faith? I mean, when she walked away from the temple, she's not trusting her money at that point. She's trusting God, right? What else? What else do you notice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God doesn't, God doesn't evaluate the way things we do. Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water to someone who is thirsty, not just because you're nice, but because it's in his name, because you're, you're doing it as a witness, he said, you'll be rewarded in the judgment seat for that. So eternal significance is something simple like giving a cup of cold water. Anything else jump out at you with this? What did you notice? And the religious leaders, the scribes. Yep. God's not so impressed with when we take our money and our power and influence and just flaunt it. God's just like, really? Not a big deal. (laughs) So what we're going to do is look into this passage a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the scribes. And let's read it again. It says, and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the, greatest, the greater condemnation. You... To understand the story of the widow, you have to understand that Jesus is contrasting it with the scribes. So you have to understand the scribes first before we can understand the story of the widow. And who were the scribes? They are mentioned about 60 times in the Gospels. They play a big role. They believed that they were the successors to Moses' authority and Moses' position. In Israel, Jesus even said in, in Matthew 23, 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. 
They also are often mentioned together with the chief priests at the temple. And, and again and again, they're mentioned as a group, like Matthew 2.4, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. Because the scribes were the ones that would copy the law, that would teach the law, that would explain the law, the scriptures. They used their position, their religious position, to pr- they, they had two goals, to promote their reputation and to make money. I mean, nobody does that nowadays. But just back then, there were people that did this. They used their, re- they used their position to and promote their reputation and to make money, and they got so greedy that Jesus said they devoured widows' houses. The word means they literally eat up. They, they, it, wasn't, they weren't, and it wasn't enough to eat the rich feasts. They're also eating up widows' houses. And how are they doing that? There's different, there's scholars kind of debate or, or, or explore how were they doing that? One possibility was that they were taking property f- of the widows to secure debts where the church would loan them money but to, as collateral use their property. And that was condemned in the very law that the scribes were writing and teaching. It was condemned. Deuteronomy 24, 17, you shall not pervert justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge where literally her clothes, her outer garment, they would take as collateral. Another possibility is literally just to take advantage of the widow's hospitality or generosity. To, where the minister would appeal to the widow to give as the minister drives home to a half a million dollar house, a million and a half dollar house. Does that make sense? Taking advantage of their generosity. There, there's a book called The Assumption of Moses. It's an apocryphal book. It's not scripture. But even in the apocrypha, you can give insight into their history and to their belief system of that time. It was written in the first century. Jude, Jesus' brother actually quotes the assumption of Moses. And it says, and it talks, it has a long description about how corrupt the priesthood was in the first century. And it said, devourers of the goods of the poor, saying that they do so on the grounds of their justice. But in reality, to destroy them, complainers, deceitful, concealing themselves, lest they should be recognized impious, filled with lawlessness and iniquity from sunrise to sunset, saying, we shall have feasting and luxury, eating and drinking, and we shall esteem ourselves as princes. They were taking advantage of the donations and the generosity. Another possibility is they were charging these excessive legal fees for giving uh, advice regarding the law um, or receiving large sums of money and saying, if you pay me, I will pray for you. If anybody ever charges you money for prophecy or says, give me money and I'll pray for you, run from them. That's insane. It says, Jesus, notice the connection, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Taking advantage of widows, taking advantage of orphans, taking advantage of the poor will bring the curse of God on you. It says in Deuteronomy 27, 19, curse be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, amen. Everyone needs to agree on this. (laughs) But what Jesus does is he uses contrast. He uses contrast because now he wants to show you. He says, I just showed you what the religious leaders value. Now let me show you what I value, what God values. What does God esteem? Who's rich in God's sight? So he contrasts the rich scribe that's taking away from widows with the poor widow that's generously giving to God. 
So let's look at this. Verse, uh, and Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So that word offering box, in the temple courtyard were 13 receptacles. They were actually had a horn shape. And so they were wide on the bottom, but they were narrow on the top. It prevented thieves from easily being able to take stuff out of them. And they were, and, and they were collecting money for the operations of the temple and for the priesthood. And these receptacles are described in detail in the Mishnah, which is the ancient Jewish commentary by Josephus, a Jewish historian, in the book of Maccabees, um, which is an apocryphal book from the second century. It's, they describe in detail these receptacles. And this lady was a poor widow. And that word poor, remember this was written in Greek, is what we call an intensive. It was a word means she was part of the very poor. And, and the issue with widows, if you read the book of Luke, widows come up again and again and again. It's why, um, as a church, I'm all, we're always encouraging, find single moms that have true needs. Find widows. Even as a church, we want to give $2,000 checks to them. Jesus had a huge, con because they're the most vulnerable in society, right? Luke 4, 26, Jesus is speaking, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Luke 7, 12, Jesus says, it says again, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Notice how Luke adds that. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Luke 18, 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So she put in two small copper coins. That, that word copper coin, lepta. It was the smallest uh, coin in circulation, in, actually in the Roman Empire. It was worth one 132nd of a denarius, and a denarius was about a, a wage, a day's wage that would be given to an average worker. So it was like worth less than what our current penny, in a sense, would be worth. Now, the idea is that in, in, in terms of value, for the temple, whether or not they got two left of really didn't matter to the priest. Right? It's so small. Nothing you can even buy with just two lepta. But Jesus said she put in more than all the rich people and their offerings. What does he mean? I mean, what do you think he means when he said she put in more than the others? Percentage? What do you mean by percentage? Okay, maybe they put in a couple percent or 10%. She put in what percentage? A hundred. So he wasn't looking at the amount, maybe the percentage. Anything else do you think Jesus meant by that? She put in more. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Out of her need. That's something you're going to remember now because it rhymes. <laughs> they out of their greed. They were giving money so people would be impressed with them. Do you think she was? She was giving money. Why? It was worship. There's no other reason. And Jesus says, for they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. This wasn't just some of her money. This was all of her money. This was her whole livelihood. That phrase, all she had to live on, is used one other time in Luke. 
and it's used in Luke 8, 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. The idea is, is she, all, everything she owned, she had spent. The rich gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. Paul writes a letter to the church in the city of Corinth. And he challenges the city of Corinth, the church in Corinth, to give money for the poor in Jerusalem because of famine and drought. And to, 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 to kind of stir up the Christians in Corinth, he uses the church in Macedonia, in, Tur- in northern Turkey, as an example. And the Macedonians that Paul uses also didn't give out of their wealth. They gave out of their poverty. Look at this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, they were under extreme persecution. Their abundance of joy, because they didn't have money, so they had joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They put in a ton of money into the collection for Jerusalem, even out of their poverty, extreme poverty. And Paul says, what do I mean? Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. They didn't just give what they were able, they gave beyond what they were able to. And then he says, of their own accord. What does of their own accord mean? What does that mean? Nobody pressured them. Nobody guilted them into it. Right? So what can we learn from the story of the widow's offering? Firstly, the scribes were taking, what was the widow doing? Giving. The Just look at how the word give is used in Scripture. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You wouldn't come away with that conclusion if you watch commercials. When you watch commercials, you will not be happy until the infinity is your car. You will not be happy until you have this or that. The entire culture, the entire world is based on the premise that you will be happy if you get more. And this verse says it is more blessed to what? Give than receive. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, for God loves a cheerful what? Giver. A what? Giver. God just loves giving. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean just to church or to charity. That means giving in every circle of your life. I remember, um, I forgot which holiday. So I have cousins in Kansas City. Now, I don't have cousins. My kids have cousins. I have nieces and nephews. And Brooke wanted, my wife wanted to give them for a holiday a bunch of, bunch of money to each of them. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I said, my brother could get a job, make a lot more money and supply for his kids. I'm not going to do it in his place. And I was honestly fighting it. And Brooke said, no, they are relatives. You need to be generous. I said, no, I don't. My brother can take care of them. And later the Lord rebuked me and he said, you're so good at being generous to the church but not being generous with family. When God loves a cheerful giver, he wants you to give in every context. Secondly, it's not just giving, it's giving generously. And sometimes generously means, everyone say sacrificially. When I say giving sacrificially, what comes to mind for you? What do you mean? What does that mean? It means what? What do you mean it hurts? 
There goes lunch. You have to give something up. It hurts. It's changing your security. It's like, God, I'm going to now shift it from this money to you. It's scary, though. Luke 21.4, for she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. 2 Corinthians 8.3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, more than they were able of their own accord. Now, listen to me carefully, because here's where people misunderstanding comes in. They read verses like this, and they automatically figure, well, that's not me. Giving generously, listen to me, sometimes, sometimes means giving sacrificially. Giving generously does not mean all the time giving sacrificially. What do I mean by that? There is an appropriate place for generosity when you're giving out of your income, when you're giving out of your surplus, not always out of your need. And I could show you a lot of verses. I'll give you one. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 2. Now about the collections for the Lord's people... Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in what? In keeping with your income. The actual Greek is as you may prosper. So in that example, is Paul saying empty your bank account? No. He's saying according to your income. According to how you prosper, add to the collection plate for the poor. So you might say, well, is it one or the other? The Bible says there are times, generosity, there are times to be sacrificial, but there are times you can still be generous, but it's not sacrificial. It's just being consistent. Thirdly, can anyone be generous? Not just the rich, not just the middle class, even the poor. This is where there's been great disservices by missions agencies, charities, shelters, where they're helping the poor puts the poor only in a position of receiving. That is, that is doing a massive disservice. They need to be brought into giving as much as the middle class, or the rich. In fact, that's literally the way Paul set it up in the churches. The Macedonian church is one example. Oh, you guys are, you guys are, un, you guys are under severe, pers- off much of the persecution in the ancient world at that time, the Christians were not allowed to participate in the marketplaces. We know this for a fact. The marketplaces each had a deity or a God that would bless the business, that would bless the fortunes of the people in those shops. So for you to go to that marketplace, you had to put an offering and lay it down at the idol that was over the area. But Christians aren't going to do that. And because of that, they were not allowed to participate. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's extreme, that's the, the Macedonian church. But Paul, when he's doing the collections for Jerusalem, does, oh, the Macedonians are super poor. We're just going to give to them. He said, no, I want them to give to Jerusalem. That's like taking offerings at the homeless shelter for the people at the homeless shelter to give to the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he saw a poor widow 
put in two small copper coins, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Fourthly, this is what the, the, the story doesn't say it, it implies it. Sometimes in the Gospels, they don't just say something because they imply something. They imply that people have read the Bible, the Old Testament, that people know what God says, and so there's no reason to repeat it again in the Gospels. Does that make sense to you guys? The book of Proverbs, the book of Deuteronomy, the prophets have hundreds of verses that say, if you give away to the Lord, he's going to bless you and give it back. Because God will bless where there is giving, not where there is greed, necessarily. Does that make sense? And so what Luke does is the implication is that when this girl, when this widow gave everything away, the implication is when she walked away from the temple that God provided for her. There's another widow story in Luke. Jesus tells the story of Elijah and the widow. Elijah is, goes to a widow in a town called Zarephath in the midst of a three and a half year drought. No rain, not even dew in the early morning hours. This is a real drought. And it said, Luke 4, 26, and Elijah, this is Jesus talking, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. That widow is another example in the Bible of a widow that gave away everything. In the midst of the drought, God sends Elijah because Elijah's got no food to eat. And God says, go to the widow, she'll provide for you a non-Jewish Gentile widow, and she'll provide for you. So Elijah goes to the widow, and here's what he says to her. He called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, that means I'm not lying. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. That was their last meal. She had nothing left. And Elijah says, I want you to give something, give some of that food away generously. And here's what Elijah says to her. Do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. He says, before you receive it for yourself, give some away. Right? For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. Do you see what Elijah is saying? Give it away and God will give more back. That's, God will repay you more than you gave. And the miraculous provision happened. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her husband ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord spoke by Elijah. Generosity literally opens up the door to blessing. God loves to bless things that he likes. Loving people, being generous, things like this. Does that make sense? And Jesus says it over and over. If you generously give, God generously gives back. That's the economy of the kingdom of God. Luke 6, 38, as one example, give and it will be given to you. Is that not clear? What is, he says, give and what? What does he say? What? Give and what? Is that clear? And, but, he does, but he says, how will it be given back to you? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You know when you have something in a bag and you want it, you shake it and press it, 
Like, a, anybody have a sleeping bag and a st- little stuff sack? Press, pr- you know what I mean? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Fifthly, the widow wasn't just giving away money. She was giving it to the Lord. That's a big deal. It was because it's more than just generosity, it's worship. By giving to the temple, the implication is she was giving to God. These offerings in the temple were used for the poor. They were used to meet people's material needs. They were used for spiritual needs. Now, what do we give nowadays? We give to the church. We give to ministries that are doing evangelism, that are doing benevolence, right? Mercy ministries, worship, teaching, missions. How much do you give? We looked at sacrificial. But sometimes we need to give sacrificially. Sometimes we need to give beyond our means. Look at one example in the book of Acts. Acts 4, 34. By the way, this whole message, this is the first time I've ever talked about money with you guys. You know, I don't take a salary from this church. Hopefully, I will never have to take any money from this church. God has blessed my wife and I. And I've always, you know, I've actually been wrong. I've never talked with you guys about money, but Jesus talked with his people about money a lot. And so that's one benefit of going through a book of the Bible is you're forced just to hit everything. If you only teach by topic, you can only teach what you want to teach. You go through a book of the Bible, you're going to cover everything, right? But look at what they give. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owned, listen to this. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, there was no stock market. There was no cryptocurrency. There was no bonds. The only inheritance, the only investments were possessions and property. There were no banks. Do you understand what I'm saying? For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each one as he had need. Those, that's serious sacrificial giving. But other times, and I mentioned this already, but other times it's not giving sacrificially. It's giving consistently. Everybody say consistently. And that's not giving more than you're able. It's giving according to your income, according to your means. And one way to do this is by tithing. All, the word tithe just means 10%. The Bible has always affirmed it. I mean, God knows human beings need patterns. Human beings need, everything can't just be spontaneous in the moment. People need routine. People need pattern. It's a way to not just do something once, but to do it often. That's why Jesus didn't just say pray. He gives you the Lord's prayer. He gives you an example, a pattern to follow, right? And this is the pattern that's given in Scripture. Before tithing was commanded in the law of Moses, Abram gave away a tenth of his wealth to Melchizedek, who is a priest of the Lord. This is way before the Mosaic law. Genesis 14, 18 to 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was priest of the God Most High, and he blessed them, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Then you get to the law or teachings of Moses. Israel was commanded as a way of worshiping God to give away a tenth of what they had, their income. And it supported the priesthood. It was giving to the poor. Look at these verses, Leviticus 27. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. 
every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Numbers 18.21, to the Levites I have given every tenth in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. Then the prophets after Moses were constantly encouraging Israel to tithe and be generous. Look at this verse in Malachi. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And they're like, uh, how do you rob God? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me, everyone say, put me to the test. There are a lot of verses where God tests people. This is the only verse in the, in the whole Bible where God says, you test me. Says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Jesus affirmed the practice of tithing. He re, he's rebuking the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. They were really like, we're going to tithe everything. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Listen to what he says. You should have practiced the latter, what? Without neglecting the former. What's the former? Tithing. Because God knows whether it's in there, the, the areas of our life that need to become a consistent practice, right? Whether it's prayer or giving is the Lord says, okay, I know the way human beings work. What can they follow, every one of them? Oh, a tenth of what they have, what they earn. My wife and I, after we got married, we, um, we were going to just stay in California, work, and be married for a year. And the Lord interrupts us dramatically. And all of a sudden, after just three months of being married or less, we moved to England to join a youth with a mission school that was going to do an outreach to China. And this was in 1998. And, I, and so we're at this city called Harpenden, England, which is about an hour outside of London, at this youth with a mission base. And I was reading all these missionary biographies. And every one of them, for some reason, all the ones I was reading, is most of the biographies were about money, how these missionaries, the Lord would supernaturally provide for them. Most of these missionaries didn't tell anybody their needs. No fundraising at all. They just prayed. They prayed and they gave and God provided. And I was really struck by it. And then one day, it was in, it was in June, the end of June, I was reading the story of the widow. And when it said she gave all she had to live on, I just looked at it and I felt... Like the Lord said to my heart, do you think I did not take care of that widow? Do you think I used her as an example and then not take care of her? And I, all of a sudden, I started getting nervous. Like, all of a sudden, I started thinking, oh my gosh, God is going to have Brooke and I give away everything. That afternoon, um, the students were... Um, we're, putting, we're, we're putting in money to get pizza for dinner. And so we had money, and that afternoon we were in our little apartment, and Brooke and I were praying together, and all of a sudden we felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to buy pizza tonight. The money that you were going to use for pizza, 
I want you to give it away. And there was a specific missionary from Bolivia. And he said, just give them the money. And so it was five pounds. I don't remember what that is in dollars. I put it in an envelope and we went and anonymously put it under the door of that missionary. Didn't even, they didn't even know, nobody knew we did it. We mentioned to one of the school leaders, yeah, we're not going to have pizza tonight. We have other plans. But we didn't have other plans. We didn't have a way to have dinner that, that night. Because we just, we didn't participate in the way everyone was going to have dinner. I went out to our classroom. I wanted to pray a little bit more. And, my, and Brooke took a nap. And, and this was in the, in the afternoon. And when she woke up from the nap, in her memories were all of these times in her life when God had miraculously provided for her. And she's just remembering it. And all of a sudden, she feels like the Lord says to her, why don't you ask me for pizza? And she's all, that's weird. She goes, so fine, God, give us pizza. I come back from the classroom, step in. She tells me what happened. I thought, that's weird. And then a little while later, we get a knock on our door. The door opens, and one of the students named Jeff, who was the, just down the hallway, says, hey, I don't know if you guys have eaten. I don't even know if you're hungry, but I got some pizza, and I just thought, we're full, so do you want to eat it? And he hands us a plate of pizza. They, they were like these slices that are like a quarter of a pizza each slice. And then he just mentions, he said the weirdest, and he, he was kind of a big guy. He said, I always eat four pieces. He says, but after two, I was so full, I couldn't fit any, which has never happened to me. So I just thought, oh, maybe Sam and Brooke might want some. He walks out. He had no idea what, ju- what happened with us. And Brooke and I are like shocked. That night, it was in the evening, I, I, again, I went outside. There was this, it was a place called Highfield Oval, this beautiful brick buildings, very British. And they had this uh, circular road. And I was walking on the road and I was just, I wanted to do a time of worship on my own. And there was a song I made up. All that I am, I give to you. Or all that I am, I praise you. With all that I have, I praise you. With all that I am, I worship you. With all that I have, I worship you. And I kept saying it over and over. And I felt like the Lord said, Sam, do you really mean it? I'm like, well, of course I mean it. I'm singing it. And the Lord said, then I want you to give $500 away to the neediest student of this particular mission school. Now, here's what you have to understand. Our money for our China outreach, we had a, we, we was budgeted exactly. If I was to give $500 away, I would go under, I would not have enough for our outreach to China, which was leaving at the end of July. And I said, Lord, if you give the same dollar amount to Brooke, then I'll know this is you. So I went back into the apartment. Brooke looks at my face and she goes, oh, do we have to give some money away? I don't know how that happened. We hadn't even been married long enough to read each other yet. Well, actually, I still can't read her mind. She can read mine. I cannot read hers. And I said, the Lord actually told me that he wants us to give money to this uh, p- this particular mission school that was going to send missionaries to India. And he gave me a dollar amount. And she goes, well, how much? I said, let's pray and see if God gives you the same dollar amount. So we prayed and she looks at me and she goes, $500? So we met, we, we wrote out a check for $500. We met with the head of that school and we told them, we want to, don't tell them, we said, don't tell them it's us, but we want to give for the need, who's the neediest student? The, the, the head of the school like falls back against the wall and says, this is unbelievable. We have a student from South America that we're going to send as a missionary to India and they are exactly $500 short right now. And a few minutes ago, we were praying with them for God to provide $500. And then... A couple days later, we were walking down the street 
And all of a sudden, I'm, lit- I'm not praying, I'm not worshiping, I'm just walking down a street in Harpenden, England, and I hear the voice of the Lord like a whisper saying, I want you to give $200 to a girl named Lynn Hawkins, who was a student at the Youth with a Mission School. So I, I nudged Brooke, and I said, I think we're supposed to give more money away. And she said, how much and to whom? I said, ask God if he gives you a name. She goes, okay. So she prays and she goes, Does, I, I just keep getting the name Lynn Hawkins, who is in our school, Lynn. I said, that's the name I got, $200. We kept going until we emptied our bank account. I needed $2,380 for the next payment for our outreach to China. I had zero. I cannot describe to you the anxiety. Thank God that when God evaluates faith, he looks at what we do, not how we feel. We were in, we were, we were in territory that was new to us. We were in our um, apartment one afternoon And I felt like the Lord said, ask me about timing. And I knew he meant timing about him providing. I said, okay, Lord, what's the timing? And immediately get a scripture address, Jeremiah chapter one, verse two. I don't know what the verse is. I open it up and it says, in the 13th year of the king of Josiah. And I look at it and I felt like the Lord said, on July 13, I'm gonna give you money. At the same time, simultaneously on the bed, I was at the desk in the room. Brooke was on the bed. Now, Brooke, I'm not talking. I'm just doing this on my own. Brooke gets a scripture address out of Romans chapter 8, I forgot which verse, turns to it and it says, oh, it was something like, if we do not get what we have, what we hope for, we wait for it patiently. And she gets this verse and she said, Sam, I was just sitting here on the bed. God gave me a Bible verse and I felt like he said he's going to provide for us. We just have to wait for it. I said, the Lord told me to ask about timing. I got a Bible verse that I think says on July 13th, God's going to give us money. July 13th comes. We are at morning. You have to understand this entire time, how many people did we tell our needs? Zero. And it wasn't like we, we didn't like leave the impression that we were needy. We didn't, you know what I mean? How people can, I'm not telling your needs, but I'm not asking you to give me money, but can I share a prayer request with you? Do you understand what I'm saying? We made sure nobody even had a hint that my bank account was empty. All the money we gave away, except for that one to that, that school, was anonymous. It was envelopes under people's doors at night while they were sleeping. It was all very anonymous. We even heard people mentioning, God blessed me and gave me this money. I don't, it's so weird. I woke up and there was money under my door. They had no idea what was us. And... July 13th comes, we're sitting at the back of this big stone chapel building during worship and a stranger walks up to us. We had never seen this lady before and we never saw her again. A stranger literally walks up to us, walks up to me, hands me an envelope and walks away and I never saw her again. The envelope had no writing on it. Brooke and I look at the envelope and we're like, no way. We actually leave the chapel, we go outside, we sit at a stone bench and I open up the envelope and it's full of money. And we counted it. It was pounds. The equivalent at that time of 272 US dollars, which was a tenth approximately of what I needed. But I'm like, God gave us the date We got miraculous money. I said, no problem. That was on July 13th. The flight to China leaves July 18th. I thought, no problem, until July 15th came. 
and 16th. July 17th, I actually walked out to the cemetery, which was near the school. I screamed at God. You are not faithful. You don't come through. I let him know exactly how. God can take, you can tell God how you feel. It's not a big deal to him. July 18th comes. We are boarding a bus for the airport in two hours. It was humiliating. I met with the school leaders and I said, because they had been like, where's your money, Sam? Oh, it's coming. I said, I don't have any money for China. They said, what do you mean you don't have money for China? I didn't tell them about us giving it away, by the way. I said, my bank account's empty. And they said, your bank account is empty? But you signed on the dotted line at the beginning of the school that you were funded. Sorry. Can I just use a credit card? They said, we don't have a, we don't have a system set in place for credit card payments. I said, can you give me a few minutes? I walked outside and I said, Lord, what do I do? And I remembered, I remembered this. I rem- it was like John Wimber's voice. How do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. I thought, now, by the way, I'm not telling any of you to do this. <laughs> I walked in and I said, I'm going to write a check for the full amount, but can I post date it two weeks till July 31st? Can you just not cash it for two weeks? And they said, we don't usually do that. I said, I know, but just this once. And they said, okay. We get on the plane. We fly to Thailand. As people are going and buying their food and snacks, Brooke and I don't have money. We don't have any money. And... So one night, our first night in Thailand, we sat on our bed. It was 11 o'clock at night. We did have a couple of dollars. I I think somebody, I don't remember how we got it. It was literally just a couple of dollars. And we put, that had been, I don't remember the exact details. It was a couple of, actually it was Thai bot. It was less than a couple of US dollars. We put the, the, the couple of Thai bot on the bed And my wife and I laid our hands on the money and we said, God, multiply it. We said, please multiply this. And then we went to bed. You have to understand, nobody knows about our financial situation yet. Those leaders didn't tell anybody. I told them that you can't tell anybody. They said, okay. And the leaders that were leading that team weren't in the office. This was with the business people that I talked with. So nobody knows yet. Nobody knows. I woke up at 1 a.m. to go to the restroom, and there were no lights on in the room, but the light coming in from under the door. And I look, and I see an envelope. I'm like, no. I picked up the envelope. I woke Brooke up. We turned on the lights. We opened up the envelope. It was full of Thai bot. We counted it, and it was 17 U.S. dollars. And the Lord provided for our needs. And it's a longer story. The Lord ended up, by the time we finished that whole outreach, everything was paid. I had no debt. The Lord took care of us. That was, the sac- that was sacrificial giving. But Jana Bruce, do you guys want to come up? That, that, was, that was, there are times when you will be led into Not just giving, but giving with risk. Giving extravagantly. Giving above your means. Don't do it because I said it, though, because if it doesn't work for you, you can't blame me. You have to do it because Jesus said it. But other times, it's not just giving sacrificially. You can give, just give consistently. Now, I'm going to tell you something else that I would never encourage you to do. There have been times when Brooke and I, not, this is in in the past, when we had debt. And we were given wisdom and counsel, don't tithe, don't give, because you're in debt. And I see all the practical reasons for that. So my wife and I would double our tithes to 20%. 
The Lord has always rescued us out of debt. I'm not saying get in debt. This is not financial advice. I am not Dave Ramsey. I'm just saying is you need to, you need to figure out your walk with God so that there is just a lot of generosity going on a lot. Any thoughts before we're, we're going to do something in a moment? I think it's going to be a holy moment in what we're about to do. But before we do that, are there any questions or thoughts about what we looked at with Jesus' story and this issue of generosity? I want to hear from a couple, from you guys. We want to hear from you for a moment. What hit you? Marina. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like at this year we're kind of at food or coffee or wine or whatever it is. Just praying, praying for the Lord to show me what he wants. And I've been praying, what is the path that you really want for me? Yeah. And I was meditating and I did a 58. And it's just like, maybe Jesus wants me to be more serious. Or at least I think a different decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was young. She was not asking me. And she said, Lord, I just have this question. And in the moment, I didn't put it down as a question to go into. I kind of realized this is what I really want to do. And, and I had, then I, I knew that was God. That one thing that just keeps coming to me after and over and over. And when did this happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know God was asking me and yeah. That's wonder. I mean, what did you guys ever hear what she said? That was that was amazing. Just yesterday because you were praying and the Lord said give money to the in coast which country? In Costa Rica. And it's a sacrifice for you guys, but you said you knew the Lord told you to do it. My wife does that all the time. Don't worry about it. She doesn't tell me whatever she spends money on. Yeah. Freddie, I love you, man. Don't, no matter what she says. <laughs> I heard my, one of my favorite all-time human beings, a guy named David Hogan, missionary in Mexico. People kept telling him to use wisdom. So he grabs this proverb that says, he who wins souls is wise. <laughs> Anyways, any other thoughts before we, I want to hear what, anything more? Yeah, right there. You know, I love what you said that because here's why a lot of people don't give. They can always find something wrong with the church. They can always find something wrong with that charity. They don't want to give to that homeless person because that person's going to go spend it on alcohol. You know what I'm saying? You can always find reasons not to give because... Now, I'm not saying we don't evaluate and make sure that it's used with integrity. That's not what I'm saying. But ultimately, it's giving to the Lord. And in that time in Israel, the way that you gave to the Lord is you give to the temple. There weren't other organizations to give to. And even if there was corruption there, she was giving unto the Lord. They're going to have to stand in judgment how they used it. Does that make sense? I'm really glad you shared that. Yeah. Uh-huh.
My, the company I work for, we have a charity called Giving University. All the executives are also the board members. We give millions and millions and millions of dollars away. 30% growth year over year. Our most profitable year ever was 2020 and COVID. I, I, I just know this works. So here's what we're going to do as a church. You probably, I don't know if you can read that or not. I can hardly read it. There are three vineyard churches in Ukraine right now. There's one in Kiev and in two other cities, don't know, can't pronounce. And we have a way of giving money so every dollar goes directly to those three vineyard churches in Ukraine as well as to two ministries. One of them is called Wide Awake. And what Wide Awake does is they rehabilitate or, and house disabled orphans or vulnerable orphans in Ukraine. And then Convoy of Hope, which is, I, I know about Convoy of Hope from other disasters they go to. They know how to get the right money to the right people in disaster areas. They're experts at it. And so the whole vineyard movement is giving money that can be funded, funneled to these three vineyard churches and to these two ministries that are in the middle of Ukraine. And so what I felt like the Lord wants us to do in just a moment is we're going to, this is just, this is worship. It's not, it's giving to the Lord. You do to the least of these, you do it unto me. It's worship is that the Lord wants us as a church to do a collection and then we're going to send a donation to this Ukraine fund. But here's what I want us to do. In the next minute, we're gonna, I want us to just sing a, a worship song and then we're going to wait for a second and I want you to ask God this. this is, when Brooke and I do this, it's always scary. Lord, what dollar amount do you want us to give? Sometimes it's less than what Brooke and I had planned. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes what was on our heart, it just seems confirmed. We're going to ask God to do that. Now, you might, during that time, you might say, man, I didn't, it's like I didn't hear anything from God. But then what is the amount that you just, out of your own heart, is there? And maybe it's okay not to give, by the way. That, that's the other thing. I have been in these super emotional fundraising events and Brooke and I have given our money away to this group or this group and I have not given at that, right? It's okay. But as a church, I think this is a moment for us as a church to do that. We all, every month we give, as our church, we give money to Nepal, Valerie, Roger's wife. We write money to Nepal. We give money to the orphanage in Baja, we give money away to single moms. We, we want to just be generous. And so the, the way that we're, you can, we're gonna do it is there's three ways that we're gonna collect this donation. One is you can text to give and you just use that phone number. Um, and then you text give in the amount, it gives you a link and then you do it. Two is you can give online so even if you're not able to do it this morning, you can do it this week, right? And you go to vineyardoforange.com and when you start scrolling down, there's a top menu bar that pops up and you click give online and you follow directions or you can just get right out a check and I, Brooke and I, we've never done this before here. I hate offering baskets, by the way, but I've succumbed. Valerie talked me into it. We have a basket where this is, and, and on the checks or on like online giving, on the note, write Ukraine, write Ukraine. Because what Valerie's going to do is take all those donations and then we're going to send one donation to the Ukraine fund for Vineyard. We're going to collect them all and we're going to send it. And next week, I'm going to tell you guys what we gave. Not to pump you up. It's not my goal. My goal is to encourage us in our generosity. Right? To encourage us in our generosity. 
So we're going to, but I want this to be worship. I want this to be worship. And you guys, I don't have to tell you, uh, I mean, Biola, I, I went to, I got a degree from Biola. They have a campus in Keep, and they've been in communication with the, um, the staff and the school's director and the super, and, and those people are like, we literally could die any moment. And it's a very dangerous situation. This is where the body of Christ, we need to, st- in the book of Hebrews, it says, remember those that are imprisoned for their faith as if you were imprisoned with them. If you've ever read that verse in Hebrews, we want to do that with these vineyard churches in Ukraine. So let's invite the Holy Spirit, and then what we're going to do is we're going to let's have a worship song. But then I want you to ask God, what dollar amount do you want me to give? Just see, He might speak to you. You never know.